Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Thank you for joining us. Great episode on tap today. We have Nick of Kush Bottles. Kush Bottles is a company that supplies accessories to the cannabis industry. So vape cartridges, packaging for edibles, containers for flowers, and they've been remarkably successful doing it. Now a publicly traded company, we get into a lot of great discussions about the packaging regulation in different states and how that's helped Kush Bottles. We have a political discussion about Congress and why they take no action uh, on the cannabis industry, as well as his decision to go public, which was not an easy one at the time. It's a great conversation. I learned a lot. You're going to learn a lot. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Guys, if you like what you hear uh, in this episode, at the end, make sure to hit subscribe, either in the podcast app on your phone or on SoundCloud. Make sure you don't miss an episode. I'd also like to make a very special announcement that producer Eric, as well as another partner of ours, uh, have made a big jump and we've created a new advisory firm. It's called Balanced Advisor. Uh, and we're going to help companies with a range of different things. So from accounting and finance to marketing, product design, website design, I'm going to help with some investing strategy, who to target, when to target, pitch practice, deck preparation. Uh, I'm also going to help on the sales side, sales strategy, maybe sit on some demos, help people with their pitch. It's really exciting stuff. If you'd like to talk more about that, uh, please reach out. You can do so uh, just to our emails, b at investingincannabis.tv or eric at investingincannabis.tv. We'd love to talk to you guys, whatever stage you're in. If you have a company and you need some help, let us know. Thanks again for being here. I'm really excited uh, to have this conversation. Kush Bottle certainly a well-known name in the cannabis industry at this point, uh, but I'd love to hear from founders exactly the way they describe their business. So I'll get you started on an easy one. Uh, how would you describe uh, what is Kush Bottles? Kush Bottles is really a distribution platform that's powering cannabis businesses uh, with ancillary products and services. And so started as a packaging provider and now we've you know evolved uh, to sort of be this, you know, big platform, 2,500 SKUs, uh, multiple distribution points in, in key geographic regions, um, and a relationship builder with a lot of these cannabis businesses. So we're out in the market talking to owners of either you know cultivation sites or manufacturing labs or dispensaries and uh, figuring out what products do they need to power their business. And it could be products like packaging, it could be products like labels, it can be uh, vape cartridges, it could be you know gloves, um, grinders, lighters, things like that. Uh, whatever they need, uh, hopefully we have it in our platform and then we're able to, to set them up and, and on a regular uh, service arrangement where we're shipping them product. Um, and then they're able to do what they do best, which is again, execute and run their cannabis business. Awesome. Yeah. 2,500 SKUs. That is a lot. That is a lot. Um, I won't ask you to go through all of them, but is there sort of a segment that's uh, the most important for you guys or, or drives the most revenue? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, like any business with a long tail, uh, you know, 
80% of our revenue is probably from 20% of those SKUs, but we want to be, uh, you know, somebody that obviously has a one-stop shop and, and has those one-off items. And it can be something that, um, you know, again, clients need or, or, you know, find convenience that they can source it all from Kush bottles. Uh, but in terms of those 20% uh, of SKUs that really make up most of our sales, um, you know, vape cartridges, certainly uh, very fast moving popular category. Um, some standard child-resistant packaging for flour, which would be like the pop-top bottles, or for uh, pre-rolls, which would be our snap cap tubes. Uh, so those are some popular items. And, um, you know, from there we go out to, to some of the more uh, traditional kind of packaging options like glass jars with the CR lid or without. Um, different concentrate packaging um, options as well. Um, and then, you know, the labels and stuff that go on it um, obviously can can enhance uh, the value of those transactions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about uh, vape cartridges in particular. I think that's a pretty um, interesting segment uh, considering what PAX has done with the new AeroPods and, and a couple other things that are in the works that uh, haven't been released yet that I've seen. Um, I've talked to a lot of uh, vape manufacturers, a lot of oil manufacturers, and, and they never seem to think it's, it's very difficult to source these kind of cartridges from China themselves uh, or from other places for very inexpensive amounts. Uh, what's kind of a value proposition in, in going through Kush bottles? Why, why would somebody do that instead of doing it directly? So yeah, the industry is really in a in a transition, and I think the old mentality was like, hey, I can get that cheaper, or I can get that direct, or I can get that from China, um, and you know certainly you can, and you go on Alibaba, you know you you, you just search around on the internet, you're going to be able to find vape cartridges in different shapes and sizes, and you're going to be able to find them at, at you know varying degrees of of pricing, um, and some stuff you can find really cheap. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, again, the industry is transitioning to a really more professional, um, you know, well financially backed uh, operator model. And when you're looking to get scale, when you're looking to really gain brand value in the marketplace, uh, things like price um, are not as important as quality, uh, consistency and liability right so you have operators coming in now that um, are well financially backed they, they have a lot on the line and um, again they're not necessarily motivated to you know make an extra thousand or two thousand dollars in net profit that month uh, what's motivating them is getting into five or ten or twenty more stores that month getting more uh, distribution points getting more customers that are using their product and are happy with the the product that they purchase so where we add a lot of value is is our products are fully qc'd and, and vetted with the factories uh so we know that they're quality they're reliable we actually help uh with our clients uh qualify which cartridge works best for them by, you know, working with them on testing their oil and giving them samples so that they can test and over long periods of time as well and make sure that uh, the product they're putting in there is going to perform and it's not going to leak. Um, you know, one bad uh, batch of leaking cards uh, can really ruin your brand in the marketplace. So uh, we're seeing uh, this new trend of cannabis operator be a little bit more sophisticated and forward thinking in that um, they're not going to be penny wise, pound foolish. Uh, they'll they'll spend a little bit more money uh, because they know the value that of the quality and the consistency and being able to have a steady supply chain. So the a lot of these cartridges do come from Asia, most of them. And so being able to manage importing of this product and 
if this is not a core competency of your business, um, you could end up in a situation very likely where you gap out. And um, that's the quickest way to get removed on the sh from the shelves. So if, if there's a food provider that uh, can't uh, get their product shipped to Walmart, uh, there's a good chance Walmart could drop them. And, and what's that really worth to your business, right? Mm. Um, as this industry starts to get bigger, stuff like that becomes more important. And then the last piece is the liability. I mean, uh, a lot of these new operators are coming in that, that have, again, uh, more of a white collar or financial background. They, they have assets that they want to protect and it's not the wild wild west and so um, if you get a product that blows up or if you get a product that breaks and cuts someone that's a liability issue and so not only uh, do they feel more comfort going uh, with a company like us that's vetted these products um, that come from reputable factories um, but also in some instances we we offer our product liability insurance that we have uh, to actually cover our clients so there's a lot of value that we provide um, in addition to just being on site and being local in terms of our distribution points. Awesome answer. Um, how much do the new packaging requirements by state help you? I mean, that, that must be a pretty treacherous thing for a founder to get through. Um, that consultation must be incredibly important mm -hmm. in, in that case. Yeah, well, it, it is very important. And I think more importantly, it's you know, the dynamic nature of the industry. So even Colorado, the most mature adult use market has changed their packaging regulations several times. And there's actually a major change coming again this year. And so it's not just about understanding them up front, which is obviously very important, but it's about knowing that as they evolve, uh, you have a partner in Kush Bottles that is ahead of the curve and um, up to uh, speed on where these uh, regs are changing and what these clients and operators need to do to remain compliant. And we go a step beyond. We're not just, um, you know, reading and, and digesting and understanding the regulations, but actually participating in the regulations. So California is a great example because uh, we're in the process right now of, you know, the market has opened up the legal adult use market under the emergency regulations, which um, are, you know, six months in, in terms of uh, stature, but they also have the ability to extend another six months, so potentially for the year of 2018. But at some point, there will be permanent regulations. And so uh, we're working right now with the state of California, um, Ben Wu, who is uh, now a consultant to the company, is on the Bureau of Cannabis Control Advisory Committee. Um, advising actually not just about packaging regulations, but about regulating the entire industry. And so mm -hmm. getting market feedback and, and understanding pain points. Um, we wanted to work with the regulators to develop uh, requirements that are not too onerous for the businesses so that mo most importantly, the market can thrive, um, but also uh, requirements that, that make sense to keep the industry safe and not have any uh, negative setbacks in terms of accidental ingestion and uh, anything that um, opposers can point to as, as being a liability for, for legalization. And how do you think that's going? How do you feel about the, um, the regulations that, that have been released? Uh, I, I guess uh, maybe most importantly or most interestingly for me is the 10 milligram limit per individual package. Um, I, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think, you know, my general thoughts are, you know, when these things happen is is that, you know, that 
really the regulation itself and the pushing forward of the process is the most important thing. So I commend uh, the state for, for doing this and getting to where they're at. Um, and then you kind of look at the, some of the nuances and certainly there's things that, that should be refined. And I think what you mentioned is one of them. Um, Microdosing is a big trend. I think for, for the mass market, um, that is not really that big of an issue, uh, 10 milligram uh, packaging for, you know, microdosing, but you know, there's a, there's also a significant part of the market that, you know, 10 milligrams is nothing. And so now you're just making this extra onerous for um, people that really need a hundred milligrams. Um, and you're incurring extra costs for those businesses and, and you're creating extra uh, pollution and waste. So um, that's something that I think, uh, you know, should be evaluated. Um, there's, you know, limits on the hours that people are operational. So looking at some of the data around when those purchases are actually made and making sure that the hours of business reflect that. Um, you know, there's there's a few things that I think uh, need to be talked through during this, um, uh, again, this uh, period where, uh, you know, the, the Bureau of Cannabis Control is out on the road, kind of meeting with uh, stakeholders, meeting with the public and gathering this information and data. And so I think, you know, those are two points, but there's probably, you know, dozens of points that, that should at least be discussed and, and thought through uh, before being put into the final regulations. Yeah. Um, in large part, I think that the regulations that I've seen are very fair. Um, I think that California has done a pretty good job, uh, thanks to people like you that have contributed. Uh, it brings up sort of a larger topic of do the regulations favor... Uh, people that have been in the cannabis industry for some time or even people that have been consumers of cannabis for a long time versus uh, consumers and entrepreneurs that are coming in just now. And, and I guess the question is, is better stated, do we have an obligation um, to sort of prop up or support the people that came before? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and and I think the answer is is both. I mean, really, you want to have an effective business market, and if you're relying on people that um, have no business background and have no financial um, backing or acumen um, to build a multi-billion-dollar industry, I mean, it's it's simply not going to be effective, right? So you do need some of these um, larger operators, so to speak. But the state has done a great job, and a lot of states have, of really limiting the size and scope. So they're keeping out, uh, you know, the really big billion-dollar players. Um, sure, it's not, you know, like it was where you could open a co-op for 50 grand. Um, but if you're savvy and, and, and you know the market, you team up with the right partners, you know, uh, and you can raise a few million bucks, you can get in the game here. So I think there's a healthy blend there. Um, and I think the state has uh, done a good job in regulating. I think um, to your other point about the, the general consumer and enthusiast that wants to participate in this industry, I think that's really important from a labor standpoint. And, and I think California has been one of a, the most regulated states has probably gone a little bit overboard in, in terms of the union uh, side of, of cannabis. You know, any dispensary with over 20 employees has the right to unionize and in some local Well, that's markets, California. That's California for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, you know, there's some things that are exciting. There's some social equity programs. Um, you know, I just read an article about, um, you know, a company that, in Oakland that's really trying to uh, make sure that uh, people of ethnicity have an opportunity to be employed by the different companies in the industry. And so uh, I think that's where 
you know, the most of the kind of general public, um, you know, are you going to be able to own a, you know, business that's going to, you know, generate tens or 20 million dollars of, of revenue um, without sort of that background or those those right partnerships with financial people? No. But can't should you be able to get a job and participate and have a career in the industry? Absolutely. So I think mm -hmm. they need to focus on being able to protect that and giving the uh, the, the enthusiast, the consumer, the, the cannabis guy that's been around an opportunity to participate in the, in an industry that, that he or she is passionate about. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, take me back a little bit to, uh, the beginning, um, founded in 2010, which is quite some time ago now, kind of, you know, what was the impetus for this? Where did the idea come from? How, how did you get started? Yeah, so it's founded in 2010, and this industry makes us sort of like a dinosaur. Um, <laughs> in any other industry, we'd be at the the early stages of our of our uh, lifespan. But we we really got excited about this industry because uh, my partners and I saw an opportunity that was uncapped, right, untapped. Uh, we saw a market where uh, there was actually a lot of thriving commerce in California that. Even when we got in there at the time, there was certain dispensaries and, you know, you know, some of the names that are still around today that we're seeing, you know, a thousand customers or patients a day and, you know, doing, you know, hundred thousand or, you know, hundred and fifty thousand dollars in revenue a day. And they were kind of hiding um, in plain sight. Right. They, they didn't have a lot of signage. They didn't do marketing blasts and press releases and. They didn't have a board of directors and some of the kind of traditional corporate um, stuff that businesses put together. And it was really unique. And so, you know, this presented an opportunity to sell and market to these businesses when nobody else was doing it. Right. The your typical sales reps, uh, your Fortune 500 and enterprise level uh, commerce companies weren't walking in these doors. And so uh, at that point, it was just about figuring out which product segment makes sense. And for us. You know, cannabis itself was a little too risky. Um, there's still a lot of risk associated uh, with it because it's still federally illegal. Um, but certainly back in 2010, uh, when there were federal raids and, and uh, local raids happening, uh, so we didn't want to do that. And then also, uh, you know, there's other opportunities uh, to build systems and, you know, the industry wasn't very tech savvy. So from a technology standpoint, uh, back in 2010, uh, there was really no market to push something like that. Um, but we wanted to be involved in a reoccurring revenue model. And so uh, that's where, you know, packaging and, and being part of every single cannabis transaction uh, was something that was extremely appealing to us. And so we looked at the market and looked at where, um, you know, where we could fit. And we built a business based around that, around what the market needed. And that's how we've really evolved. We've listened to the market and we've um, listened to our clients and, and these business owners and figured out how do we create value for you? Um, and that's how we've built into the business that we are today with, you know, four different distribution centers uh, with 2,500 SKUs with sales reps in, in um, you know, 10 different states. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this analogy before, uh, but it reminds me of Levi Strauss supplying the, the gold miners. Uh, mm -hmm. You're sort of supporting the green rush, but I'm sure you've heard that uh, quite a few times before. Um, uh, I have a note here that you spent the first four years taking zero salary. Um, and first of all, just congratulations. I mean, we talk about <laughs> bootstrapping. That's incredible. Um, was there a moment in those four years where you said, 
damn, I just, I don't know if this is going to work and I got to make some money. And, you know, were, were there, were there dark times like that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, our story is a little bit different um, in terms of the the kind of founder, traditional founder story and, and taking little to no money at times. Uh, you know, we really didn't take any money out of the business. And, and the only way we were able to do that is, is having other business ventures uh, that actually did pay the bills. Right. And so uh, my partner and I, the, the original uh, two largest shareholders, Dallas and myself, um, you know, we never took a salary from the business, but we also had to work you know, seven days a week because we weren't just building Kush bottles. We were building other businesses and doing other ventures. Um, and then we were bringing in other folks uh, that that were getting paid that could do a lot of the day to day heavy lifting of the business. Uh, and then in 2014, when I came back to be the CEO is because, you know, we made the decision that there was such a big opportunity here that um, I was going to uh, not no longer be distracted focusing on any other endeavors and focus full time and and we needed to raise some money to support um, salaries and, and things like that so uh, it's a little bit different story but basically you know it's the same story of, of really seeing uh, something long term the vision the value that can be created and making the short term sacrifice uh, to do that in our instance it was it was sacrificing our time and being able to you know if you're going to do multiple things, you know, you're, you're not working a 40 hour week, right? You're, you're probably working an 80 hour week. Um, and so yeah. that was the real sacrifice that we made. And ultimately it's, it's certainly paid off. So, um, you know, we're glad that we did that. Yeah. Uh, in regards to doing multiple things, I think this is something that founders struggle with, uh, consistently. I certainly do multiple things. Um, how much of a distraction do you think it is? And do you think that it ultimately slowed the growth or progression of Kush bottles because you, you guys were doing other things for, for a large part of it? You know, I think it would be hard to say ultimately, um, you know, our, ability to grow the business back then was was severely limited by things outside of our control. Number one, um, access to financial services and capital. Um, mm-hmm. Number two, uh, you know, the the political and uh, criminal climate of cannabis at the time. We, in 2012, uh, there was a historic uh, May 6th ruling in Riverside County um, that basically closed half of our customer base. And mm-hmm. so this is something where, as a business owner, um, you're doing everything according to your plan you're executing, um, you're building relationships in the market, and all of a sudden you lose all these customers, not because of a failure on your end, uh, but because simply uh, something that's happening in the political climate. So that's a very tough market to build a business in. uh, And ultimately, I don't think we would have been able to do a whole lot more uh, just by focusing more hours of the day toward it, because ultimately it needed things like capital uh, to, to scale. And those weren't available for the first three or four years that we were running mm-hmm. the business. And when they started to become available was really when Colorado legalized for adult use in 2014. And we recognized the opportunity right then. And that's when we started raising money for the business. And we really um, recapitalized the business and we revamped the management of the business. We brought in Ben Wu, who was uh, instrumental in our success. Uh, I came back to be the CEO of the company officially. Uh, so we, we made all those changes at the appropriate time. And, and so I don't think we, there was a whole lot of uh, lost opportunity um, by doing multiple things in those early years, uh, because again, those dynamics were a little bit different in this, in this industry. 
Got it. Yeah. And then uh, at what point does the conversation about going public start? I mean, you had raised uh, a good amount of private capital. How do you make that decision to, to go public? How did that start? It started because there was a company that was public, um, an OTC uh, sort of penny stock company that, that grew to uh, at one point a billion dollar valuation. That company was called uh, Medbox. And uh, we saw them and, and those guys, and they actually, you know, solicited us for an acquisition at the time. And then that prompted us to look into what was going on. And it was amazing to see that a company uh, like them that basically had no business, uh, they were a glorified consulting company, uh, had a market cap of, you know, a few hundred million dollars <laughs> on the public markets and um, were able to raise money and, and potentially do acquisitions and, and grow their business because of that public vehicle. Um, so that was what got us thinking about it. And then in 2014 when colorado uh took off um you know our business started to boom so we were we were getting more demand and we knew that this was going to continue in every legal market and so how do you scale the business to where you can take advantage of this opportunity well it's going to require capital um, so we started talking around we looked at private investment and we would have ended up you know basically giving up uh, control of the company majority of the company uh, to raise you know, a fraction of the capital that the business actually needed. Mm -hmm. um, so that wasn't a viable solution. Um, uh, going public was really the only route uh, that we could actually create enough value in the business that we could raise the capital that we needed to execute uh, without really fully diluting the company. And mm. uh, fortunately, we were, you know, 100% correct in that decision. You know, although at the time, you know, there was a lot of debate and a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and now, uh, you know, history has proven that we were we were spot on and, and we were able to execute and we were able to avoid, most importantly, a lot of the landmines uh, that companies like Medbox and these other guys fell into. Um, and, you know, we've been able to make it a very successful venture and, and unlock all of that capital and, and unlock even more opportunity through acquisition uh, to grow the business. And you fast forward from when we started talking about this and thinking about it in 2014 to 2018. Uh, the company's raised over $10 million in, in equity capital. The company's uh, completed, um, you know, close to $30 million in acquisition uh, using stock as currency. Uh, and we now have the position to actually accelerate that a lot faster and further because of the investor appetite uh, that's increased in the marketplace today. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. Those are very big numbers uh, by, by, cannabis, um, by cannabis standards. Knowing what you know about the private capital market today, um, if you had to do it again in this environment, do you think going public would still make sense? Yeah, I think there's a lot of risk in going public and uh, it takes a lot of resources away from executing on your business. So I think if we were able to find the right private capital partners um, that you know were not uh, dilutive but could scale with us, uh, I think that would be something that we would certainly consider. Uh, so I think it's hard to say because, again, we, you know, it, it, there was a totally different climate back then and that, that was driving the decisions. And, and we got you know, lucky that we were able to execute on it. And that's the key piece. There's execution risk. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that could say, hey, I could go public and it makes sense if you can get public and you can raise the money. It's the right strategy. But what if you fail on the execution? Now you've you've put your entire business at jeopardy and risk. And so I think at this point, looking at the risk versus reward it would be a tough decision and, and we would consider staying private. Uh, yeah, it sounds like back then um, there was 
quite a bit of risk factored into the valuation that you were presented, whatever term sheet you were presented. And although mm-hmm. that risk still exists today, uh, people have become increasingly comfortable yes. um, with, with those types of investments. Um, but that risk still largely exists as an operator. Um, and as someone who runs a, a fairly good size, uh, not cannabis direct, uh, but ancillary cannabis business, how worried are you about the legal concerns federally or Jeff Sessions and how that affects ultimately your customers? Yeah, I mean, I think most importantly, a lot, you know, and I was telling people before the election that, um, you know, the, the most important thing was that the states uh, that were on the ballot for adult use, and these were major markets, you know, California, Nevada, and Massachusetts, uh, passed their initiatives, right? That was the most important thing. And what happened at the federal level was was sort of irrelevant. Um, those states did pass. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Clinton, if she would have won, you know, who knows what she would have done for the industry, you know, potentially would have been, um, you know, rescheduling cannabis uh, to Schedule Two and getting big pharma involved. Um, so, there, you know, we, there was nothing that was going to be you know, really great coming out of that administration. And then, you know, well, now we have the Trump administration, which, you know, uh, there's been some positive comments, you know, early on from Trump about medical cannabis and, and, and even letting states um, have the right to legalize cannabis. But he appointed Jeff Sessions, which we all know is, is very anti-cannabis. And so, uh, again, I think it's irrelevant. I think the fact that these states have passed and now they're in motion and there's so much economic value being created in terms of taxes, in terms of jobs, um, in terms of, of access for, for people that actually need the medicine, uh, I think it's impossible to reverse that. And so now we have a situation where uh, the attorney general has power to disrupt uh, what's happening, but certainly not reverse what's happening. So I think there is some risk. Uh, but ultimately, the public perception and, and um, polls are changing. And now we have all-time... Uh, numbers in terms of support for legalizing medical and also in support of legalizing adult use. And so when you have that in place and you have so many states that are benefiting uh, both economically and socially from legalizing cannabis, I think there's going to be a lot of pushback. And we already saw that just with with the comments that were made around rescinding the coal memo uh, in terms of any federal uh, enforcement of cannabis. So I think it's it's unlikely uh, that there will be any. If there is any, I think it will be focused around the bad actors, the people that are violating um, interstate trafficking laws, the people that are um, not in compliance with their business. Um, So I think as a risk to the legal compliant industry, uh, I would consider it a very, very low risk um, that anything would happen. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, we, we, we can't say never, but if something did happen, uh, if one of these operators uh, were to get um, uh, trouble with the, you know, f- a federal prosecutor, uh, you would think that <clears throat> with the public support and opinion being so high, um, any jury uh, of reasonable, um, you know, standing would not convict somebody of a criminal offense. So I think you're looking at more, you know, kind of something that's disruptive that could dr- uh, that could make people's lives a hassle. Um, but I don't think we're going to go back to, 
you know, a decade ago when people were literally going to prison for years uh, for operating a cannabis business. Yeah, no, I think at worst, I, I agree with you. I think at worst, we're going to see some cage rattling. You know, we mm-hmm. may see some some very visible raids or something like that. But as a whole, I don't think people have much to worry about. I think maybe the frustration at the at the federal level for myself and, and a lot of people in the industry is that the, the debate is so moral. Um, it's not about economics. The economics are clear. It's just this sort of Puritan ancient value system uh, that DC maybe still features, or at least the conservative party still features. Um, and I think that's the, the biggest frustration. Is that what you see too? Is basically, um, don't confuse me with the facts. Weed is bad. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think people are, you know, they, they're sticking to, uh, again, traditional, uh, kind of thoughts around this, um, you know, maybe there's a, a, th- a thesis that, you know, these uh, Bible Belt, um, you know, voter bases uh, are, are going to be upset if, if people start to become a little bit more progressive. Um, but, you know, you're, again, you can't deny the fact at some point this stuff is coming out into the light. And that's, you know, one of the real beauties about, um, you know, how our entire uh, society is moving forward with the internet and with the access to information is that some of this government propaganda uh, that really put a cloud over industries like cannabis, uh, that's going away. And there's no way that they can continue to do that. And as people have become enlightened, you've seen the support ramp up. Uh, and I think you're at the point now where people are fed up for the majority of people uh, with being controlled and told that cannabis is bad when the data and the studies are showing that it's actually not. And at the end of the day, we have a culture that wants to be responsible and make their own choices. And so that's what we're seeing come out of it. And and I think ultimately the policy will catch up. I think one of the biggest issues we have in this country is that the people that represent us in the office are out of touch uh, with what the majority of the people are looking for. And I think one of the reasons is, is the, in, the society is moving so quickly now. It's moving much quicker than it ever has before because people have <clears throat> so much information at their fingertips and so much technology that they can use to communicate and, and can work around the clock. And so as things are moving so quickly, um, our political offices have not been uh, moving at that same speed. We're not getting that newer, younger generation into office, into position of power. And so you're getting this gap that's widening where there's a further and further disconnect from the people in the office office that are representing the country to what the people that are actually living and working in the country want. Yeah, extremely well said. And uh, I'll add to that. Uh, on the issue of cannabis, I feel that Congress is so cowardly Basically, they don't want to enforce the law because there's too much business happening and and too much growth and public outcry for cannabis. But yet they don't want to step up and do the right thing, either in decriminalizing or legalizing in some form, because they're afraid to offend their older voter base Mm -hmm. who happens to vote more. Um, And uh, that, in my opinion is just unacceptable. I mean, take a stance. If you want to enforce the law, enforce the law. That's not what I want to see happen. Uh, but And if you want to legalize or you think this is okay, then then take that step. And they have that power. It doesn't have to take a decade. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have yep. to be 10 years from now. Um, well, that's a great, it's a great point. And I think it's, it's certainly a source of frustration for me as well. And a lot of people 
um, in the country are, are frustrated by this, uh, you know, kind of inaction, right? The, the, the ability for politicians to ride the fence, right? And not really pick a side. And they've, they do that in every aspect. I mean, you know, they, yep. they go back and forth in terms of whatever is the flavor of the, the day or what they need to say to, to get their votes or to get their, their um, financial backing from yeah, whoever's from writing the check. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So yeah. this is no different. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect it to be, uh, but what, you know, what we do know is that <clears throat> again, uh, these elections coming up are, are getting more and more uh, politicization around cannabis. And, uh, 2018 is going to be uh, that year where uh, most politicians that are running for office, especially major offices, are going to have to pick a side on cannabis. And so we get out of this, this uh, again, riding the fence uh, yep. that, that obviously we're frustrated with. Um, I think that starts to happen in 2018. And then uh, once they're out there and they, they're forced to pick a side... Obviously, now uh, it matters in terms of which side they pick based on where the majority of the support is. And we're seeing the majority of the support be behind cannabis. Um, so it's going to be hard for the, these politicians to actually pick the opposite side. Yep. Yep. Well said again. Uh, I want to shift gears here a little bit. I love to connect sort of the very important work you do in the cannabis industry during the day uh, with uh, what kind of cannabis consumer you are yourself. Um you know, when you're when you're done packaging uh, the world's cannabis uh, and you come home at night, uh, what what do you like to consume? Flowers, concentrates? What what are you into? Yeah, actually, uh, so I was, uh, you know, a, a relatively new cannabis uh, consumer myself. Uh, you know, believed a lot of that old propaganda myself. So I have a personal experience with that and and having stigma around uh, this plant and and these products, uh, and and that started to change obviously as I got into the industry. Um, you know. Uh, eight years ago. And so I do enjoy uh, using cannabis. I've never been somebody who can uh, use cannabis and, and function at a high level in terms of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, working and, and, and getting stuff done. Um, so it is, uh, for me, something that ha happens at night um, and, and on off days. And it's typically, you know, for me, I, I do like, I do prefer flour. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, innovative products coming to the market, and I think a lot of this stuff is is still relatively new in terms of uh, perfecting its its technology, its effects, and and um, you know, it's great to experiment um, here and there. But for me, right now, uh, nothing beats kind of the original, you know, natural uh, plant itself. Um, and I think you know, it's going to be exciting to see how that continues to evolve. And and at one point, if if someone like me moves away from that. Um, and and onto one of these other uh, different types of products, um, you know, as a, yeah, as a I, primary I, choice. I I totally agree with you. I'm absolutely team flowers. I mean, concentrates are cool, and and all sample or try whatever. But there's nothing like the classic. I I totally agree with you. Um, well, Nick, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for joining us. What can our audience do for you? Are you hiring for any positions? Uh, anything you want to plug here? The the floor is yours. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, you know, really for Kush Bottles, we're, you know, trying to build a world-class organization. So we're, we're always hiring. Uh, we're looking at expanding. Um, right now we have 
um, expansion plans for the Northeast. Uh, we're looking to open some other distribution centers, uh, potentially in Nevada and, and, and some other places around the domestic in United States and also potentially in Canada. Um, so all of that information is available online um, on our careers page. Again, you go to cushbottles.com and, and search around and you can find uh, the different uh, job application uh, postings that we do have. Uh, you know, we're also a publicly traded company. We, we trade under the symbol KSHB on the OTC markets. Uh, and so you can certainly follow along in terms of what the company is doing. Uh, all of our information is public, our financials. Uh, we also put out all of our press releases. And uh, you can be on the email list for that if you go to our investor relations website, which is at ir.cushbottles.com. Awesome, Nick. Well, thanks again for the time and congratulations on your success. Really cool to watch. Thank you so much. And I, I look forward to uh, catching up with you guys uh, at some point down the road. And hopefully there's a, a lot more developments as we know this industry moves very fast. Um, so I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about uh, at a future date as well. Thanks. Again yeah, we'll do a follow up. We'll do a follow up sometime. Thanks again. Okay, cheers. Bye.